Welcome to the WEPC Discipleship Podcast, because the gospel changes everything. All right, I've started the audio now, so all the people on the inter- interwebs are hearing this. Um, what? Not live. Uh, it'll, it'll get posted later. Um, if you notice, there's two handouts in the back. Uh, one of the handouts is the uh, illustrative spirograph. We're going to get to that in a minute. As well as up on the board, I read this yesterday uh, just as part of my reading, and I thought, oh, how appropriate it is to what we're doing, not just today, but really this whole class, the Martin Lloyd-Jones, you know, Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous 20th century preacher in the London Tabernacle. Um, and he wrote, there's nothing more dangerous than to have our heads packed with knowledge concerning the content of the Bible. If that stops in the head and does not move to our hearts and does not influence our wills. I think he continues on to say that that um, it actually is the drive of antinomianism. It's the drive to um, just, well, I'm not going to go there. Just, you know, it's more dangerous to have your heads packed with knowledge than to not have your head packed with knowledge. <laughs> you know, it, it, if that doesn't change your heart and will, or according to our grid, if it doesn't help you to love the Lord your God and uh, others with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, if you're just here just to learn and just like pack your head with knowledge, or if you study the Bible that way, what good does that do for us? What, do, what good does that do for the world? What good does that do for Jesus? So anyway, hey, uh, this is our last class. <laughs> um, and so uh, the 12 components... Last week I was supposed to do the 11th component and I didn't. So uh, this morning I want you to just take a few moments, a few seconds, and think about um, as you go forward from this class, as you go forward after this class into, uh, into Easter next week and then beyond, uh, what are you going to be actively doing to rest in the goodness and grace of God? Uh, will you continue doing that, or will it just be something that was in the past? What, what can you actively do to rest in the goodness and grace of God? Um, does anybody want to share right now something that they think that you're going to continue to do moving forward after this class uh, that you are actively resting in the goodness and grace of God? Anybody want to share? Yeah, ten minutes yeah, is long. Yeah, um, and so then I did that for that week, and then I found myself missing it since. So I think I might take that back up because uh, I used to hate reading my Bible, and then I tried to do that every day and found yeah. a desire to do that, and now I just really like doing that. So like yeah. you don't have to tell me to do it. Yeah. But prayer, yeah. not there yet. Yeah. So, but I do. I'm starting to miss it. So I'm like, oh, okay. That's right. great. <laughs> so That's I, great. Yeah. Institute that. 
yeah. I love that. Thank you for sharing, Avery. That's wonderful. Yeah. One other? Yeah. have become more than just words that I sort of know a definition, but that with the grace of God, maybe I can live into it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's really great. Live into them. Amen. Amen, Kathy. All right. Let's move on to the greatest moment of the whole class. That is real sarcasm right there. Um, the award ceremony. Has anyone here, in good conscience, can you tell me, has anyone here done 80% of your homework and work of this class? Not 100%, 80%. What do you think? Yes! So, if you did 80%, I award you your own trophy. You receive trophies. I think you two have at least said you have done, this is your trophy. Just for you. You, uh, you know, a, a round of applause for these guys. A round of applause. Has anyone else done 80%? Kathy, yes, you have done. So here we go. Here's more trophies. More tro this, is, this is wrapped. Hold on. I want to take that out for you. Yes. Has anyone else done 80%? Margie, yes, you have. Okay, take it out of the plastic. Yes. See, these guys are too humble. You know, you don't want to raise your... What'd you say? <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> um, I know that was a trick question. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That was a trick question. Everybody else did it, and they, but they didn't want to say it. Anybody else done 80%? For those that didn't do 80%. I have for you participation ribbons. Participation ribbons. Oh, I'm sorry. Here you go. Round of applause for the participants. Participation ribbons. Uh, who am I missing? Who am I? A Avery. Did I, did I randomly pick up the exact same? Did everyone get one? Oh, thank you. Um, so you can tell people, you can tell people you, <laughs> uh, I love everything about that. <laughs> Participation. Yes, Margie. Oh, no. Oh, wow. It will become something. It's almost as good as a participation ribbon. But that's wonderful. All right, right. That's very kind of you, Margie. That's very kind. All right. Enough tomfoolery. Um, 
And anyone who's in this class, there are other people who <laughs> have been coming in and out. If you see someone and they're like, oh, we did, you did, they did the work, don't worry. I have a lot of trophies. <laughs> And I have a lot of participation ribbons. So uh, you just, you know, I'm going to put that on you guys. All right, Kathy. Sure, yes. Yeah, so that's Martin Lloyd-Jones' Lloyd quote. Um, as Kathy does that, if you remember, we now get to the part, as our last class, we're getting to the end of the best book, which is the Bible. And so I really want to, you know, this is what happens to me all the time is I get to the very end of the class and I have 75% of the material still to get through. Uh, and I don't want that to happen. Um, so uh, I'm going to fly through some of this stuff so we can talk, spend most of our ta time talking about the book of Revelation. I think that is uh, probably the best use of our time um, because... Uh, two weeks ago, we, and we did the other book. We did like the, the Pauline epistles, and we sort of tacked on Hebrews at the end, and I didn't talk about Hebrews other than to say it's a book that you should read. Uh, it talks about the supremacy of Christ over and above everything, uh, Moses and the law, and it, Jesus is it. That's, that's Hebrews. Then we get to the next book. Anybody remember? What is, anybody know? Yeah, it's, it's on your handout. Um, so I am going to erase this Lloyd-Jones quote. Um, so James, anybody know who James is? Yeah, yeah, Jesus is bro. Um, and like literal brother, um, half brother, if you will. Um, and uh, yeah, the, probably the best thing that I could say about the book of James so that we... Do it quickly. Hold on. Let me get to my notes. Oh, my goodness. I have too many notes. Um, is James is all about um, be doers of the word, right? Doers of the word. I could say so much more, but uh, that's really all I'm going to say about James. Uh, the book of James is about being doers of the word. Don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. Um, Reading the introduction on my study of the Bible um, categorized it as the Proverbs of the New Testament. Proverbs of the New Testament, yeah. Uh, it, it, it has very, it, it um, is connected a lot to the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Yeah. So uh, um, the pastoral implications of James is clear. It is devoted to moral living. It's devoted to, you know, like Glenn's saying, it's the Proverbs of the New Testament. It is devoted to because you're a Christian, this is how you should live. Moral living is important. Should... Uh, um, the great reformer Martin Luther, did he like this book? No, no. Famously, he called this the epistle of straw. He did not consider it part of the canon. He hated it. He despised it. Why did Martin Luther despise this book? Works. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah, you could read it and read moralism into it. 
or works. You could if you're reading it that way. Um, and Luke, Luther was responding to the problem of moralism in the church at the time and really did not like the emphasis that James has on being doers of the word, not just believing, not just faith, as Luther would say, but in action. But we don't live in the world where, um, well, we do. Uh, I, I'll just say, uh, it is important for us, what do my notes say? It is important for us never to preach morals, never to teach that that's how you get to heaven, but we should teach that, li- <laughs> I love that Mark is wearing his participant ribbon. I'm sorry, that threw me off. Uh, <laughs> I just love that. Um, that we should understand that if you're a Christian, you should live. You, you should stop doing some things and start doing other things. So, um, so that, that's the book of James. It's a wonderful book. You should read it. It is part of our canon. Moving on, the next book of the Bible is what? Yeah, First Peter. I'm, I'm just going to talk about the the chunks together. First and Second Peter. Who's Peter? The, the rock, yes. Uh, Peter is the rock. He is um, one of Jesus' disciples and apostles. First and second Peter, actually, maybe what I'll start doing. It, it, what's the, the next section after that? Yeah, all the Johns. Um, first, second, and third John. And then there's a little book. What book? Jude. And then we'll get to Revelation. Here's, I could say so much about all these things, and we could spend a long time talking about them, but again, I want to get to Revelation. Here's the one thing that I think is so helpful. I was actually just talking to a guy about this Friday, Friday, um, where he was asking about uh, the early church, and you know, maybe shouldn't the church, we've gotten so far away from the early church, and you know, the early, let's go Acts 2.42, like let's just live together and share things together and be at peace with one another. Isn't that like, doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound wonderful? The problem, and this is what I said, because I was just doing all this study on this. The problem is if you read these books, James 2, and especially the first uh, uh, three chapters of Revelation, one of the things they talk about over and over and over and over again is false teachers. I mean, it is so clear that the early church was struggling with persecution on the outside, persecution on the outside, and false teaching on the inside. These are two problems. This is outside, and this is inside. And so you read in, um, you read in, Well, I was actually Second Timothy, as you read in the, the uh, about Scripture itself. But in First Peter, you read about um, the um, submission to rulers. You read about the what is true salvation. In Second Peter, you're reading about false teachers. Their teaching is leading people away. Um, you read about. 
uh, in Jude does the same thing. It's Jesus is so high and the scripture is inspired. It's connected, Jude is connected to 2 Timothy and in 2 Peter in many ways. They're talking about false teaching, heretics. 1 John, this is one of the major themes of 1 John, is Gnosticism was coming in and was drawing people away. There are these antichrists, is what 1 John talks about. False teachers are drawing people away. So I can tell this man, the early church was not ideal. They were struggling with a lot of things. They were really struggling with who is Jesus? He, when is he going to come back? Are we ever going to see him again? Why, do all, why does the world hate us and want to dis- destroy us and kill us? And these people are coming in and they're teaching a faith that is not, what is Jude's text? The faith that is once delivered to the saints. Jude 1, or, or I forget the, the text. Um, false teachers is the big theme of all all of these general epistles. That's how I would, that's how I would say it. Um, there's so much more I could say about all of these things. Um, but when you read these over and over again, you get this sense that the apostles, Peter and John, and even Jude, and John again in Revelation, James, are speaking to folks who don't understand what the true gospel is and they want to be reminded of true gospel, the true gospel. They want to be reminded of who is the real teachers, who are the folks that are teaching the real gospel and not a false gospel. So I could say so much more. Are there any questions about any of that before we get to Revelation? I know that I just flew through some really thick and amazing texts. Um, but that's just what I'm going to have to do. Um, you know, there's, there were some cool things in there that I, I, I wanted to get to, but oh well, I guess not. All right, so moving on. Uh, have you guys ever heard of this book called Re- the Book of Revelation? Yes, you have. Um, so my question for you is, is Revelation talking about the past, present, or future? Yes. <laughs> okay, you, you guys should be teaching this class. Yeah, so the book of Revelation, what'd you say? Oh, sorry, sorry, okay. Oh, Margie, you're just really disrupting. I might have to take that trophy back. <laughs> just kidding. Um, yeah, so here's what we'd say. There are four Uh, three or four, I'll just say three in the interest of time. There are three interpretive approaches to the book of Revelation. There are three interpretive approaches to the book of Revelation, three big ones. Uh, The first one is, to use a, a, a great term, the preterist approach. The preterist approach. The second one, and I'll, I'll explain all these. Um, Well, no, I'm, The second one is the futurist approach. There is a historicist approach, but I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, Futurist approach, and uh, again, this is a terrible term, but an idealist approach. So these are the three big approaches. There are other kinds. There's There's an eclectic approach that's sort of under idealist. 
There's a historist approach that's sort of weird in here. Um, but just to explain all these. In short, the, preter the preterist approach says revelation is all about the past. And uh, it speaks of the big thing being um, the desolation of the temple in 70 AD, in AD 70. Um, the desolation of the temple is what happens. The beast, the main enemy in the book, is apostate Israel. You know, those folks that should know better, but they don't. Um, uh, you know, it, it, there's so many other things I could say about the preterist approach. Um, you know, the, the beast is apostate Israel, maybe the Roman Empire. Uh, before we dismiss it, probably the biggest name who believes in a preterist approach, you guys have heard of this guy, is R.C. Sproul. So, as soon as I wrote that, you're like, oh, wow, maybe I should pay attention to that. Uh, yeah, he has, he has a famous book, and I honestly forget the name of the book, where he uh, lays this preterist approach out. Um, and so, you know, it's possible. Here's a problem with it is, um, you know, it, there, well... Yeah, well, it, it, it's, it, there is the, one of the problems is about dating. What were you going to say? So revelation means the apocalypse, but that doesn't mean end times. It means a revealing. So it could be a revealing of, of, of knowledge that isn't necessarily future knowledge. Right, right. Yeah, that, yeah, I would say. Um, thank you for saying that. I didn't even get to that, that it, uh, the book of Revelation, more so than any other book in the Bible, is the revelate the author is Jesus Christ? Uh, that's how Revelation one one speaks to it is of Jesus Christ been revealed to the Apostle John, and John on the island of Patmos is able to receive this from the divine author of Jesus. Jesus is the divine author of all of Scripture, right? But even more so, it, this one is very clearly identified as the apocalypse of. Jesus. So an apocalyptic literature, as Avery is saying, is, uh, a, is a kind of literature, a genre that uh, we don't really have nowadays. Um, and, you know, um, it's a kind, a specific kind of prophetic literature. Uh, it's a subset of prophetic literature. You know, Revelation is kind of like First Enoch, fourth Ezra, second Baruch, uh, some parts of Ezekiel and Daniel. It, the focus is on the source of the message, the heavenly origins of the message. That's what I was saying about the divine author um, being mediated through someone else. Symbolism, dreams, visions, that's really important in Apocalypse, and we're going to get to it. So much to cover. So, historist approach. Um, yeah. But let me cover all of them, and then I'll talk, maybe I'll talk about some of the problems with it. The historist approach is, very quickly, it is a chronological outline of all of history. So it's sort of like the present. It's all of history. It's a chronological approach of God has revealed all of history from that moment 
from, from the birth of Jesus all the way through the end of time. Um, I'm not going to talk, you know, the, the, this is a big one in the Middle Ages and the Reformation. Most of our reformers were historists in how they read uh, Revelation. Um, yeah, it, it's very connected to cr chronology. The futurist approach. Guess which one this is all about? Okay, that was, that was an easy one. Yeah, it's all about the future. Um, so everything, you know, this is what we think of when we think of interpretation of Revelation, right? It's all about the future. Um, it just is very much um, connected to dispensationalism, one of my favorite bugaboos that I like to hit uh, beat on. Um, the beast is the Antichrist that'll come at the end. Um, you know, it's all, it's all about the future. So, here, yeah. Would you say, is that the future when it was written, or do we view the future? Has not happened yet. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that clarification. It is all about the future. It's all about the very end times, so not just the future when it's written, but it's future even now. It is in the future. Um, the problems with preterist and futurist are similar, which is why should I pay attention to it? You know, if it's all about the past, it's interesting, but it doesn't really have anything to do with me now. And the futurist, especially a dispensational futurist, which, you know, includes the rapture, you know, uh, if you've ever, you know, studied the rapture, uh, the, the problem <laughs> that I think the most uh, applicable problem with that, other than being a terrible hermeneutic in, study, in, in reading scripture is, the, by the point the rapture happens, all of us will be gone. And so why are we reading this? Why are we reading this book? It doesn't apply to us in any way, right? It applies to people, like we'll, we'll, be all, we'll all be raptured and then it's all about other people. Um, if, if you believe in a, in a, in a time of a, a specific rapture as dispensationalists do, which I do not, uh, they would believe that there is a future rapture and then that's at the beginning of the prophecy, rapture happens, and then the rest of the book is about the future, which all of us will miss. That's what I'm saying, you know. Um, and so, if you've, ever, if you've ever been in anything like this, you always understand the last one is the right one. <laughs> I mean... Uh, uh, actually, uh, one of my professors, and I, I, I firmly believe this, is I'm telling this to you because it's a good understanding of an interpretive framework of the scripture. I think it's re it, it actually, if you believe this, I love reading Revelation, and I actually taught it to our kids at Kids Club a few years ago using this, interp this interpretive framework. I didn't go through all this with our kids. Um, but it's, it, it opens your eyes to seeing how applicable it is, how encouraging it is. Um, and, you know, how amazing it is. Um, I like to, uh, what I want to say is, like a candle, I want to bring the light, not the heat. So I don't want us to see, oh, I believe in the idealist, and all these others are idiots. Because if you ever are in a spot where you're telling R.C. Sproul, Martin Luther, John Calvin, that they're idiots, uh, you're in a wrong, you're, you're in problem. You're having a problem, okay? 
Um, so I don't want to bring the heat. I want to bring the light of a candle. This is what, how I believe you should read Revelation, is this idealist, maybe an eclectic, eclectic, I don't know, um, form, which is, in short, it is a combination of all the strengths of all the other views. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 that's not what I'm going with. Um, it covers the last days. And it is teaching and showing the ideas, symbols, the ideas, the symbols of the last days. And so what are the last days? The last days, yeah, is uh, the moment Jesus ascended until the moment the new heavens and the new earth are established. These are the last days. Uh, so the last days, which are not just in Revelation, you know, this is Old Testament. This is First uh, Peter speaks of, of yep, First Peter speaks of the last days a lot. Um, you know, say again. Thessalonians, yes, yes, thank you. Yeah, Thessalonians, both of the Thessalonians speak of the last days. Um, it is speaking about the ideas. The whole block of time, it covers, um, it covers the past, it covers the present, it covers the future. When you read Revelation, you're reading about Jesus's revelation of the spiritual warfare that is happening here and now, right now. Um, there is parallelism, and I would say uh, not just parallelism, but... Um, Shoot, I forgot. Why I, I don't? I write so many notes, and then I don't write the ones that I want to remember at this time. Um, it's it's uh, you know what's what's the right word? It's a building upon each other. So there's you know one and then two, you know whatever you want to call that. Um, this is the book of Revelation. Actually, I have a better image, so I'm, don't write that. I have a better image that I'm going to write up later. Um, the structure of Revelation is that it is a repetitive parallel. It gives snapshots of this time. It gives images and pictures of what the last day will be like from different angles and perspectives throughout the book. Jesus comes back many times. When you read Revelation, he comes back many times, right? Because he's not coming back many times. What's happening is, Jesus, through John, is revealing to us an image of this last days. He then reveals another image of the same time frame. He then reveals another image of that same time frame. And he, he points it in a different direction. He holds up this diamond and looks at it through different angles. How many times does he do it? Seven times. So uh, the parallelism... Numbers are important in Revelation. If you read Revelation, you read those numbers over and over again. So what is this structure? That's why in my handout, I put a very detailed outline of Revelation. My dispensational brothers and sisters would disagree with my outline. Um, but it's just what it is. It is what it is. So here it is. Here are the seven layers. And I think maybe if by going through it, you'll... Um, I, I'll explain it better. 
So I'm going to erase this so we can get to it. These seven structures of Revelation. Such a great book. Once you, once you see this, I think, um, it makes it a very applicable and, and helpful book and an encouraging book. Because who's John writing it to? Who's John writing it to? Suffering Christians, and they're suffering from two things. What are they suffering from? I just talked about it. Yeah, they're suffering from false teaching and persecution. Those are two, two big sufferings that are happening. Um, if you only have persecution, but you don't really know what the truth is, well, what are you, what are you being persecuted for? But if you know what the truth, or on the other end, if you know what the truth is, but you don't have that crucible that refines you of persecution, you know, we end up complacent, all the other, th- anyway. So he's speaking to churches, churches. And so what's the first section? The first section is the seven churches, the letter to the seven churches. Um, when you see the number seven, what should you know? What should you pay attention to? Yeah, completeness. I'm going to write my numbers over here. Seven is completeness. Um, You know, seven days of the week, right? Uh, It it is complete. Um, When uh, when you see the number, seven lamps in in the tabernacle, seven times sprinkling on the altar in Leviticus, seven years for the year of Jubilee in Deuteronomy, uh, the seven churches. In Revelation, we see the seven churches, seven lampstands, seven stars in Christ's head, seven seals, seven bowls, seven trumpets, seven sections of the book as I, as I would lay out. I mean, these are important numbers to speak to the completeness. This is not, you know, what does Revelation say at the end? Do not add another book to this Bible. It is complete. It is done. And so the seven letters, um, they give a picture of Christ coming back, they give a picture of the churches that are struggling in this time, and it's a reminder to stand in the truth. I mean, you know, these seven churches, seven letters, standing in the truth. It is the first uh, section of Revelation. Then we get the next section, which is the seven seals. Seven seals. Um, this is, you know, you can see in your notes, chapter 4 through 717. You know, Jesus is taken up into, or excuse me, John is taken up into heaven. He sees the throne room of God. Um, through those chapters, uh, we see different things. The final judgment is taking place. Utter destruction of the world. The sky is rolled back like a scroll. There's cosmic upheaval. Has that happened yet? No, I don't think that's happened yet. That is in the future, right? That is in the future. Everyone hides their faces from the coming of the Lamb on the day of the Lord. That's in Revelation 6. If you believe that Revelation is written chronologically, you have to over-spiritualize that event. You have to say, well, that happened, and we just didn't see it. I mean, I believe... Uh, that is still to be in the future. Revelation 7, number of those in the heaven given. How many people are in heaven? Yeah, 144,000, which, another number, you know, what is, 
What, 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 numbers, what, what numbers come out of 144? What is 12 times 12? You know, so we get 12. You know, 12 is another number that we see over and over and over again in uh, Scripture. And what does 12 speak to? Yeah, it's similar to completeness. It's more like the fullness is probably another better way of saying that number. When you read 12, you think of the 12 tribes of Israel. You think of the 12 disciples. Um, unity and diversity, bringing together diverse things. Maybe that's a better way of saying it, not just fullness, but unity. Um, bringing together all these things. The 12, uh, in Revelation, we see the 24 elders around the throne. Um, you know, 12 times 2. Um, 144,000 in heaven. Uh, you know, 12 gates, 12 stones in Revelation 21. The tree of life bears 12 kinds of fruit. These are bringing together the diversity. So again, that's, that's um, this section. Christ come ba- comes back again in Revelation 7, 17. Um, so he's, Jesus keeps coming back because I think at the end of this section, Jesus has returned to bring it back. And at the end of each section, we see Jesus coming back. Uh, The next section is the seven trumpets. In the seven trumpets, uh, they begin inside the seventh seal. The kingdom of world has become the kingdom of our Lord. He will reign forever and ever. Um, You know, the time has come for the judging of the dead and the living. In Revelation 20, we talk about the judge, judge, yada, yada, yada. Lightning rumbling, so Revelation eleven nineteen. lightning rumbling, earthquake, hailstorm, 812, st- uh, uh, yeah, verse 812, stars fall out of the sky, but they fall out also in 613. So you see cosmic destruction happening. I'm rambling to say this is speaking of a, uh, the, the whole end times. But all of these, these three sections, are speaking to the persecution by the world. You see persecution by the world. And you see parallelism in this, but it also gets ramped up because by the time we get to the fourth section, which is the persecuting dragon. As soon as we get to the fourth section, we start seeing persecution not just by the world, but by Satan himself and his minions. Uh, The persecution of the dragon, the dragon beast from the sea. Um, It begins with the birth of Christ in 12.5. The dragon stands waiting to eat the child. Everyone agrees. Every commentator believes that this story, this is in Revelation 12.1 through 14.20, this section, It's speaking to the birth of Jesus, right? I mean, uh, let's actually, if we're going to look at any section, I want us to look at this section because it's uh, the most often discussed. Well, that might be a lie, but it's one of the ones that are often discussed. Revelation 12 says this, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. 
And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns on his head, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. There's so much I want to talk about in that. Um, The birth of this child, everyone believes. This is talking about the birth of Jesus, right? I mean, this is talking about Mary giving birth to Jesus. Who is waiting for Jesus for him after he's born? The dragon or Satan. Now, he had in his tail swept a third of the stars. This is where we get the interpretive idea that a third of the angels fell with Satan uh, back in Genesis. Um, what's important to note about the third, I think, is it is a lot and not as much as the other guy. The other guy still has two-thirds. If you're fighting two-thirds to a third, who's going to win that one? Most cases, the two-thirds guy. But a lot of angels fell with Satan. Um, and the other number that came up is ten. Any ideas what, when you read Revelation and you see 10, any thoughts about that? Say, say that again? The only thing I can think of with 10 is the 12 spies went to Canaan, and two were, two were, 12 spies went to Canaan, two, two were bad. No. Yeah. Yeah, I love everything about that joy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sadly, the microphone was too far away to hear Joy singing her Sunday school song. Uh, that is so great. Thank you for that. For um, I, it does. It does deserve a trophy. Thank you, Bobby. Yes. Um, I can't. Joy, you did an amazing job. Um, You know, I don't know why. I I don't know where my notes are. And so I'm just going to skip that part. Uh, Ten uh, is another. It's it's. Ignore that. The number four. We're just going to. I'm just going to skip over ten. The number four. What does the number four mean? Because we see that in four living creatures around the throne in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 6. Four winds, corners of the earth. Um, there's a fourfold formula. Every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, uh, which that term in the Revela- in book of Revelation actually occurs seven times. Um, there's you know, different terms that are used, o- used four times in the book of Revelation. Lightning, rumblings, and thunder occurs four times in the book. Seven spirits are mentioned four times, referring uh, to the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's similar to the other terms. It's it's completeness, but it's also universality. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's not mentioned, it's not uh, dealing with um, divine things. It's dealing with... uh, 
it, 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 it covers everywhere. It, you know, the four corners of the earth is probably the best way of speaking. It's, it's universality, um, similar to the other ones. And so um, anyway, uh, in, in this section of the persecuting dragon, hold on. Um, you know, the radiant woman symbolizes the people of God, the church, it, not just Mary, but the people of God. Uh, particularly Israel, who gave birth to the Messiah, the 12 crowns, 12 tribes, right? The dragon, obviously, is Satan. He sweeps away a third of the stars out of the sky. It sounds a bit like Genesis 3, the woman and the serpent. We see that. Uh, The dominant issue in Genesis 3 was the promise of a coming offspring or seed of the woman. So we anticipate, right, if there's an offspring or a seed of the woman, there's going to be an offspring or a seed of the serpent. Genesis 3 told us that seed would destroy the serpent. And in Revelation 12, the dragon stood in front of the woman to eat the child as soon as it was born. He wants to destroy him first. He knows the prophecy. He wants to destroy him first. So if you can imagine the scene, it's a very powerful dragon and a little tiny baby. In that, who would win, right? Obviously, the dragon would win. I mean, clearly, Uh, The child is born. We all know this is Jesus Christ ruling the nations with an iron scepter. This comes from Psalm 2. He's caught up to God. He isn't destroyed by the dragon. The dragon realizes he's been defeated. So next he turns on the woman to destroy her. He couldn't defeat Jesus. So he's going to destroy the church. That's he's going to try. So next he turns on the church. The woman flees into the wilderness for 1,260 days. Uh, this period, which 1260 is like 42 months, because if you divide it by 30, 42 months, um, uh, it's a time, times and a half a time, which is three and a half years. Uh, Israel wanders in the desert for 30 days. You know, this is 42 months divided by times 30. You understand what I'm saying. Um, uh, You know, these numbers are important. Uh, it, the, the woman escapes, and this speaks to Daniel and Daniel's prophecy of Daniel's three and a half years. Elijah's persecution under Ahab was three and a half years. Uh, Revelation 12, 7 to 12, Michael and the dragon, this angelic defeat of Satan in heaven is symbolic of his defeat by Christ on earth. Um, I, I'm, I'm saying so much to say that this section is speaking to what's happening in the spiritual, spiritual realm. Satan directs his wrath towards the people of God once he sees that Jesus can't be defeated. Um, I got to move on because we're running out of time because we then get to the next section, which where is that? There it is. The next section is the seven bowls. Seven bowls. Um, Seven bowls of wrath God pours out. This is speaking to lightning, earthquake, hail. It's progressively getting worse and worse. And then we get the fall of Babylon in 17. Fall of Babi. Um, And then the last section is the great consummation, which is the one that... You know, so these two, these persecution of the world, four, five, and six, persecution by Satan. And then the last section is this great consummation.
Our dispensational brothers and sisters would say this is speaking to the encouragement at the end. Great consummation. Um, you know, we had to struggle and suffer through all of this stuff and the fall of Babylon. We had to struggle and suffer. Now, they would say, well, we already go, you know, at this point is when we are raptured. And so, you know, we don't care anymore. But those that come to know faith, Christ later, they will care. Uh, but then the end will all come back. So Jesus, you know, rose and brought us with them. And then according to them, we all come back. I don't believe that. I believe what's happening is all of these sections are speaking to what's happening right now, the spiritual realm of, um, of yeah, the spiritual realm. It's parallelism. It's progressively getting there. Um, and, you know, you've heard before. Oh, yeah, I didn't talk about the other. You know, three is, uh, you know, the, the great number of Trinity. It speaks to God himself. Uh, you know, if seven is completeness, what's one less than seven? Yeah, yeah, that's bad, right? Six is really bad. And then if you have the trinity of badness, 666, isn't that really terrible? And so, you know, if you take, I erased it, but if you take a view where um, it's speaking to the past, the preterist view, or it's speaking to the future only, you're looking for this. You're looking for when is this person going to come that's going to be the great Antichrist. Revelation speaks of many Antichrists, and it does speak of an Antichrist. Um, 666, you've heard some really terrible interpretations of 666. 666. What are some of your worst? I, I don't have any time. This is really that, not that important because I think it's hilarious. Credit cards are the mark of the beast. Yeah. Vaccines? <laughs> I didn't know that, Margie, but now I do. Oh, no. Um, yeah, what, what you get is an over-literalization of everything. And so... Um, so you also get different political figures who people think that is the answer. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, Ronald Wilson Reagan six letters in each of those names. You didn't know that, did you? Or my favorite one, just to show off, um, the Hebrew alphabet is the sixth letter. Uh, you know, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, He, and Vav is the sixth letter, Vav. But if you transliterate that, that's W. Oh, WWW. That's my favorite one. That literally is my favorite one. That the six, the Satan is in the internet. Um, that's not true. None of that is true, because what you, re because what they're doing is they're trying to bring some concreteness to an apocalyptic literature. When uh, you read, you know, the, it'll be bound on your foreheads or bound on your arms. Six 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 will be written on your forehead. Be written on your arms. You know, you've, that's in Revelation. Now. But that connects back to Old Testament time. Where is the law of God supposed to be written? On, the, on your forehead. It's supposed to be written on the doorposts. You know, these are uh, symbolisms 
symbolism speaking to the power of who you, who, the power of who your God is, the power of the revelation. If you say, Jesus is not my God, Jesus is not my God, 777, but Satan himself, the badness, the worst one, I identify with the goats. I identify with the dragon. I identify with the beast. Then you, you, that's, that's who you are. There's nothing literal about it, but the problem with that is, I'm out of time, but I, uh, the appropriate response from some folks who don't like this approach is, well, if you take away the literalism of it, then you are no longer um, holding firm to a strength of the scripture. Does that, does that make what I say? You know, that is what I've heard folks say in response to this interpretive framework is, um, well, if you're not going to read it literally, then it doesn't really mean anything. But I disagree with that because it is, as Avery said earlier, it is apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic. And because it's apocalyptic literature, you read it as such. When you read scripture, you need to read it according to its genre. If you don't, you're misreading it. If I read, if I read, oh, I, I didn't plan for this. If I read Jesus's parables as literally happening, I'm misunderstanding Jesus, right? Jesus did not say this exactly happened. No, he gave a parable. You got to read it according to a genre. You have to read Revelation according to a genre. So I'm out of time. There's so much more I wanted to say, but are there any questions? Oh yeah, the spirograph is another thing. <laughs> Thank you. A spirograph is another thing that came through uh, my study this past week after I put the handout together and I thought oh this was it just came across my feed somewhere and some social media I thought it was really cool connection to uh, the Old Testament to the New Testament how many times they reference now Revelation actually doesn't quote Old Testament that much it doesn't say like thus saith the Lord back in Revelation but it references Old Testament stuff over and over and over again. And you see it according to that spirograph. I just think it's amazing to see how New Testament authors connected to Old Testament authors. That's my point of that. Great. You say it layers. Where's the layering? The layers? Layering. You're looking at the same thing. But when I look at this, I'm seeing different things. Connect that dot. I, uh, d just... Uh, Time frame. Everything is according to time frame. That um, it expands until you get to the very end. But this time frame of seven seals, this time frame, this time frame is the same. It's speaking about the birth of Jesus all the way to the end times. And so what happens is you get to the, you know, Jesus is born, Jesus comes back again. Jesus is born, Jesus comes back again. Jesus is born, Jesus comes back again. Does, does that make sense? That's the layer. It's the time frame of everything. That when you read this section, you're reading the time of Jesus being born all the way to when he comes back again. And it's an image, it's a symbol of what, of describing that time. That's what I mean by that. That's the layer. Yeah, the, good, good question. Any other questions?
<laughs> I love all of you. I'm so thankful that you guys have come. And I am going to miss our time together. I'm going to miss our time together. Um, so yeah, so I'm out. Enough, enough of that. Enough of that. Thank you. Um, in the fall, what'd you say? <laughs> yay! Yay! Um, uh, in the fall, we'll be doing more classes. Uh, most specifically, I'm going to be teaching a class in the fall on uh, human sexuality. So if that is something that you are interested in, um, or if you interact with anyone who is a sexual being, you should come to that. That's everybody, by the way. All right, thank you. Bye-bye.